podcast. We have lots to talk about. One of the key things is to talk about the new Nachmund uh, mission pack. We want to cover who's better, Macario versus Mephiston. And, of course, why isn't the Ultramarines movie on Warhammer Plus? So the expert who knows all that is none other than Phil, the Glacial Geek. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Although I, I believe that if you're going to use the word uh, uh, expert when it pertains to me, you may be uh, promising more than I can deliver, but that's fine. Oh, absolutely not. We never do that on this show. <laughs> I mean, there we go. Over promise, under deliver. That's how you make it in this uh, business, right? Yeah. I mean, he is the expert of rolling ones into ones. There we go. That that I can that I, I have plenty of experience in that I can de- I can most certainly help you with if that's yeah, what you're looking for. Right? But I'm not sure any of your listeners actually want to learn how to do that. <laughs> it's not, it's not... So first, let's go a little bit back in time. So you and Robert uh, met up at Las Vegas at the LVO. Yeah. But before that, you were presented with a very unique challenge, and that was to completely paint your army using a new product. So tell us a little about that. Yeah. So uh, uh, a couple months ago, uh, the army painter, uh, I, I had communications with them, and I worked with them previously, uh, but they, they sent out an email, and they're like, you know, top secret, new paints coming out. Uh, and then eventually they said, it's going to be these speed paints. And they're like, we're very excited about it. It's going to be a whole new drop that we're going to do and a whole new line of paints that are designed from the ground up to be a speed paint. So, uh, you know, and I was super excited about it because I've, I've actually never actually used the, the contrast paints because it, it, for me, it always seemed like it was like a high price point to try to get into it with enough stuff. And I don't know enough about painting to know about like the higher end uses of what contrast could do. Uh, to use it properly for the the price point, so I was I, I'd always I'd never really gotten into the, the the contrast. So they said that they had these new speed paints coming out, and I was very excited about it. And they were like, you know, do you guys have any? You know, they sent this to a couple of people, and they're like, do you have any thoughts on content that you would want to put out about this? And you know, ideas for like interesting ideas to do with this. And I was like, well, what if you painted an entire army in like a very short period of time? And they're like, okay talk to us about this. What do you, what do you think about this? And I was like, well, what if like in the weeks leading up to LVO, I built and painted an entirely new army to take with me to the Las Vegas open to the competitive situation. And they said, that sounds great. Let's do that. So they got on board. I got on board. Um, and then, uh, then the time came about three weeks before LVO at the beginning of January. And uh, I, the realization of what I had promised hit like a <laughs> sledgehammer right in the face. And, uh, I had to get into it. So, uh, yeah, in the three weeks about the, from the beginning of January up until I, you know, literally an hour before I had to leave for the airport to leave for Las Vegas for the LVO, I built and painted an entire Sisters of Battle Army uh, basically from scratch, from just the boxes to uh, to completed models. So it was uh, it was quite the endeavor, um, but uh, you know, as as Robert can attest, it, uh, it was a mission uh, mission accomplished. I, I think the warp might have eaten Phil again. Oh, did it? Oh, I'm getting hmm, weird. I'm but, recording on my end. Uh, seeing Phil's army in person, though, it's some really pretty, stunning like pinks and blues. So at that point, it he did it. And it turned out really well. And some of the posts I saw on his YouTube feed, he he also taught himself how to do airbrushing with it to try and speed up the process. And a few other things like that. I didn't get to see all the details because I was also busy painting my own army. <laughs> 
one of the things, I mean, I'm a contrast paint junkie at this point. It's almost primarily what I use at this point. So, but I definitely know uh, some of the, the pitfalls that people were saying, especially when you use some of the darker colors. They're a little too strong, and you definitely have to dilute them. And knowing how much to dilute them, they're not exactly as friendly as they describe in the description. Uh, to your point, I usually use it out of an airbrush. So what I do, my method is simply a um, zenithial highlight, so black, then a, a touch of white from from directly above, and then maybe even dry brush further white to get the corners, and then apply the contrast via airbrush. So I can, can kind of control it a little bit better, but absolutely, I found out the hard way. Like I used uh, the purple, and uh, what I thought was going to look like a great power sword ended up looking like Grimace, and I was like, oh, this is not what I wanted. Um, and Yeah, the, the Shaiish <laughs> purple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Yeah, when I was when I was trying to teach myself how to use uh, these paints, I used all sorts of different methods. So I, I I tried at first just a pure white prime to put them underneath to make them pop because that's what it's recommended to do. And then I also used them with a um, I also used them with a uh, like a uh, a zenithal zenithal prime because that had also been recommended. So because the, the the base color they say to do with a pure white prime because that's how it uses like there, there's like that's the way that all those speed paints are designed to work is with a, where you have a high bright color underneath that could come out. Uh, but someone recommended doing the Zenithal and I tried that on the models and I used that with a paintbrush as well uh, with the, with the, the speed paints over the paintbrush and it looked great. It came out great, had a great dimension. The colors were really vibrant and, and, and beautiful and it looked like it, it worked the way it was supposed to, which was great. Um, and I also used it through the airbrush because this whole process was about trying to teach myself how to do a whole bunch of different processes with all these different things. And I used the air through it, the airbrush on the vehicles. Cause I was trying to do like a, the, because it's like a pink and purple or like a pink and blue kind of theme. And I wanted, and I did the pink up on my vehicles just with regular, um, with their air paints. And it was like too bubblegummy pink, which this is more like a magenta, like a deeper pink. Uh, so I used the speed paint through the airbrush over top of it to try to give it the same color as the rest of my models to make it work with that. So yeah, like you were, like you were saying, I, I you know, trying yeah. to figure out how to use them in that same three weeks that I was... <laughs> Also putting together an army was it was a lot, but it, it worked out. So, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I know from experience using the contrast paints on stuff like rhinos, yeah, flat panels, it does not work very well. Yeah, and because the the pooling and stuff like that, it collects in yeah, like in the center of the panels. Mm -hmm. So doing it through an airbrush makes it a more constant tone rather than oh yeah no I pulled this out of a comic book. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I and I, I definitely. That was one of the things I'd heard about using these, uh, using the speed paints to worry about like big pan, like flat panels and stuff like that. But uh, on the on the armor, I was because I was also worried. A lot of people talk about that with just power armor. You know, they talk about the speed paint, like the contrast paints on on like Space Marines or any kind of power armor. It's the same thing, like on the uh, on the models there. But I was able to, um, I was I was able to get like a very good looking models on the the power armor of the sisters and granted they're smaller panels than i guess you get on a like a primary space marine uh but it worked really well but on the on the vehicles i definitely wanted to use it through the airbrush to get like you said a more even look to it a more even color to it so so how'd you do a delvio by the way i i went uh i went <laughs> uh, two and four which is honestly two more wins than i had uh, feared that i would get uh because i that was uh 
that was approximately game uh, two through seven uh, with my sisters. That was just uh, wondering. How much practice did you get? <laughs> I had one game. I had one game, and it was with my friend who basically who played sisters, and he basically led me by the hand through the process of how to play a sisters army at all. So uh, it was uh, LVO was more of a, a learning process game wise than it was. I you know I had I had no no I was not under any uh, disillusionment about making it to top table or competing <laughs> on day three. It was all about just trying to you know trying to get some games and I got two wins and I was very happy with that. So uh, that wor- that worked for me. So so how'd you meet up with Robert? Uh, he we, I mean that's kind of the beauty of these big events, which I'm super happy about getting back to, is that. You know, you you kind of see people, and you just go and you talk to them. You know what I mean? You just go up and you say hi and how's it going, and 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 just and and get to to see and introduce yourself and and, and meet each other. So, like that's the beauty of what it was. And you know, Robert just came up to say hi, and we talked, and and that's kind of how it went from there. So, yeah, no, I I, I did the proper sneaky thing of like creeping for a minute <laughs> or two, and then going, all right, smack the grout, let's go. <laughs> exactly I mean, and yeah no it was just a no, chat with phil see what's up and ended up running into him multiple times throughout the weekend yeah. and that's it's like yeah no podcast thing how you doing phil yeah phil faces all that exactly all, all, all the fun so that's what it was about was just you know so phil, i gotta ask I, I didn't realize until yeah. we did a little research before the show i did your yeah you've been running your channel for five years i was like holy cow yeah it's about longer than i knew and so what has been your strangest fan interaction so far uh, craziest fan interactions. Most of them are. I mean, most of them are at most innocuous, and a lot of them are great. You can meet people, hear what their hobby stories are, and everything like that. I honestly love talking to people. So, like you know, I know Robert was saying he had to like build up the courage to, to talk, but like honestly, I love talking to people and just interacting with everyone. That's kind of the. I mean, that's why I'm. I was very excited about being able to go and do again after two years of not being able to do it. So. Um, the, I mean, honestly, not, I haven't had super weird interactions. I've had some people that, uh, like, you know, it might be like at the end of day two, if you're trying to, like, it's very obvious that I'm trying to get out to go get some food cause I haven't had dinner yet. And it's like, I'm starting to get to the point of being, you know, being hangry and it's like, just like read the room a bit. I got to go. But you know, other than that, it's, it's fine. I, I, I mean, I love, I, I love interacting with people and I love being able to talk to people and it's and it's most of i like like i said the the worst it gets is is innocuous at best at, at worst so the most of them have been really great and i've really enjoyed it and some of them lead to uh getting onto their podcast so <laughs> oh, i appreciate you being here uh, I, I have to ask, where does the name Glacial Geek come from? Because you're I mean, in yeah, Atlanta, uh, right? uh, Savannah, Georgia. So, uh, but still Georgia, right okay. state. Uh, it's well. When I started the channel, I was living in Alaska, so I lived up in Alaska for four years, and uh, during that time, started the channel. So it made a lot more sense when I was up there that I was the Glacial Geek because I was in Alaska. But then when I moved, I was thinking about changing the name. I was like, maybe I'll turn it to like the Southern Fried Geek or something like that. But you know, at a certain point, once too many people know who you are, it becomes too late to, to rebrand and, and have that work. So I, I stuck I stuck with the Glacial Geek moniker and and uh, and it just has to be a, a weird non sequitur for people to be like, I don't get it because you're in Savannah. It's like, well, at this point, it's too late. You, you, if you if you get it, you get it. <laughs> So I have to ask, tell me about the local Savannah meta, because uh, I have a little story to add to that, but I'm curious what it's like now. Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah. Um, the, the 
there's there's a bunch of people that play, which is great. I mean, there's a big enough scene that it's that it's able to support me doing my videos and my channel. Um, and it ranges from you know people uh, like uh, my friend Nick who went to LVO as well. I think he finished in the top 100 at LVO, um, maybe like top maybe like 50 something, 60 something. Like he he finished very well. So it goes from everything like that where you have someone who's who's obviously you know uh, very interested in the cutting edge meta and and very much about the competitive scene all the way down to people who literally just paint armies because that's that, that looks cool to them. You know what I mean? And they're more interested in narrative kind of play and, and, and games like that. And the competitive portion of it is, is more of a, 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 a side portion of the hobby for them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. Cause that's kind of what my channel runs the gamut as well. So, you know, I go everything from, you know, competitive, uh, competitive, hard-nosed tournament practice games all the way down to just, you know, throwing together funny, funny skew lists that, that, that are more for the meme than anything else. Now, I just find it hilarious when you mentioned Savannah, Georgia, because um, my first podcast, I was uh, started off as a segment uh, contributor. I was a fan first and a segment contributor and then finally brought on as a co-host. They were based out of Myrtle Beach. And I think they're the only five okay. people that played 40K in all of Myrtle Beach. <laughs> and what, okay. it was funny, nice. though, because these guys, you know, you hear about them, and they were one of the first uh, more tactical uh, competitive uh, podcasts that were out. And people were like, well, you guys just play, with, you know, play against each other all week. Well, how good are you? So it says, oh, let's go to a tournament. So they, end up, they go to a local tournament. They win. And they go to another one, and then they go to Nova, and they like win their brackets, and they just keep rank going up, up, and up the rank. And it's like these Shaolin yeah. monks that come down from the hills, and oh, we'll just bash people's heads <laughs> in. So it's like there's like nothing there. Yeah. So um, as they yeah. they end up doing their own tournament, and it was the and at this point I've been on the show maybe a year. And I'm flying to Myrtle Beach, which is tricky to do because there's like you fly into a major city, then you get on this this paper airplane and you got to carry your people always afraid about checking your army on an air flight. This plane was so small. I was holding it by lap. That's how small this plane was. (laughs) And it was my first large tournament in years. You know, I decided to be an adult and what a mistake that was and got back to the game. Yeah. And then I'm getting off the plane and they're like, hey, I'm running a little late. Yeah, we'll see you at the restaurant. I'm like, okay, cool. And I realized, I don't know what these people look like. I've been talking to them for a year <laughs> straight. I have no idea. So I just kind of bumbled my way through the, the restaurant. I'm like, hey, I hear nerd talk over here. <laughs> yeah. So I was curious yeah, what the, the, voice, the, for the group voice was like. And it was, yeah, it was, uh, that particular tournament pulled in a ton of pokes from the um, south, and uh, including um, Adam Abramowitz, who you talked to from uh, – Oh yeah, Army from Army Painter. That's, that's, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's my man that, from the Army Painter. What's now become yeah, the I best general on it? The wars on Atlanta. Best general kind of took to took over from there. So oh, pretty yeah. cool. Nice to see all that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's. Uh, yeah, I know Adam's an awesome the little guy. bit I've heard of Adam Brown, which was I think he was trying to do the best general thing, like where he just wanted to win Warzone Atlanta. I think that's what his thing yeah, was. Yeah, it was a really good podcast. It was because it's more of a uh, documentary journey, and it's something that's kind of cool in that. Even though it was a few years ago, it's still timely now. Yeah, so it's. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's a great guy, and like you said, that podcast was awesome because it really was just a journey about developing as a as a competitor and as a player and as a person, and it wasn't just you know like you know top tips for how to beat Tao. You know what I mean? Which is it's cool. That's why I you know and and he's an awesome guy. Awesome, awesome guy. Like can't highly you know can't you know. 
sing his praises more more than uh more than they deserve because he's he's a great guy and yeah he's my guy at the army painter so that's pretty funny that yeah he's a good guy well with um with the story time of georgia i i'm not really sure i have a story time for georgia yet because <laughs> i'm focusing on winning scorched earth and maybe the ocotillo onslaught here in arizona this year but that's just me so phil i got a yeah, got to pay some bills yeah. here real quick, Phil. Go uh, it, so, yeah. yes, we need to mention our tournament, the Scorched Earth Open, coming up this uh, March. If you don't have a ticket yet, um, I don't know how to tell you this. We sold out. <laughs> we uh, have reached our max capacity, and this is after we actually went back to the venue and asked for more space, and those 10 extra tickets sold over the weekend. So we are currently sold out. We are starting a wait list at this point, so you can hit that up on my email. Uh, as well as our Facebook page. So you can just follow us there. Akatio Onslaught will have more details as we get later into the year. But, um, you know, as we start, one of the things we're looking at is this new mission pack and also the new designations. We're starting, there's, you know, GTs, majors, super majors, RTTs, although that nomenclature is null and void for this year. Phil, what do you think of that? Uh, I think it's, Interesting, and I think it's going to make a big difference in, you know, uh, I think it's going to make a big difference in how things play out. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see how it all all works. And uh, yeah, I'm curious because you know, I've heard stuff like these Iron Man tournaments where they're doing four or five games in a single day. I've seen, you know, I'm curious what kind of creative new formats we're going to get at this point. And um, we we talked in the past, so maybe of an Elo type system which isn't really taken off just yet. But mm-hmm. um, the fact that you don't have to, you don't have to be at the big events. You can put it forward. Now, not that being said, you know, Richard Siegler won six big events and won the ITC with it. Yeah. And I think, I, and I, you know, I do think that the big events getting, getting um, the push that they do is, is good. I think that, you know, I think, I think getting the emphasis from those, cause it's, you know, it's one thing if you win your 16, 16 man local, you know, local tournament, but I mean, Richard Sealer just won, you know, LVO against what, like 800 other nerds that came and, and competed, you know, that's tough. That's, I mean, it's, it's tough to just like, just play all those games against all those people and, and come out victorious on each of them, you know? So I, I kind no, of it should, I mean, just playing eight games in a weekend. Pushed, uh, yeah. I remember my last LVO, that was, that was the hardest part was the endurance. So it's like, yeah, I played a lot of games, but I haven't played yeah. six games in 48 hours and, months i don't know if i can do it and yeah 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 it's tough it's tough but it's you know it's it's interesting to see how when it all how it all plays out you know like that like trying to make it through there and then at the at the same time like competing at like a super high level you know so the one event that took me by surprise with that scale is the dallas open which was eight rounds with no cut to top eight you get to play all eight rounds over three days that one I know for a fact a good chunk of people dropped out after day two because they were no, no, I don't have, I don't have two more games. <laughs> no, it's definitely definitely a yeah. Even there are a couple of folks I noticed that the yeah. team dropped after game five. They're like, okay, we're done. I'm in Vegas. I'm gonna have fun. I'm like, well, what? I'm like like Ross <laughs> on the Friends. There, it's just like checkouts not till yeah. 10 a.m. I am staying till 9:59. I've paid for this room. You know, I pay for this tournament. I will play every game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I definitely had like I remember at Nova Open, they do the same thing where they have uh, 
where they do the brackets, like where the, the yeah, where the the groupings yep. that they do. Uh, pods, pods is the words I was looking for. Pods afterwards, and you play through for like you know champion, like you know champion of your. You can win out your pod even if you're not you know the, whatever whatever your the first like five or six games were. Um, and I had the same thing where I was like, I'm going to play all the games that I can, all the games I you know that I, I paid to do in this tournament. And I went through and this like going through and I was I was playing Gene Steeler Cult and I was like exhausted, just mentally my brain had turned into like mashed potatoes. And the second I lost a game in my bracket, I was like, all right, I'm out. I can't I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I was like, at this point, I'm just playing for no reason. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm good. I lost the game. I'm out. I, I, I yeah, put in my best. I, I, I know what that's I could, how so. I felt at LVO this year was just oh yeah no i lost my first three games then i yeah. win my next three games okay perfectly average i guess i'll take it <laughs> well the good news you would have won your bracket if that was a, a nova yeah yeah <laughs> that's true that's true yeah that's the beauty of it like it's like you know it, it uses those first games to get everyone kind of stratified to where they should probably be and then they're like all right now you can go and try to compete against like your peers, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, someone like me isn't trying to compete against, you know, Richard Siegler. I'm competing against (laughs) the rest of the the mid. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Before we get into the new missions, uh, <laughs> two quick things that showed up today on Warhammer Community. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts. Uh, stat lines for the new avatar uh, for Craft Worlds. Cow- <laughs> spicy. Spicy. That guy is going to be punching lots of things. <laughs> Cowabunga. That's what I have yeah. to say. <laughs> Any ideas how to do some of the list at this point? <laughs> <laughs> uh no but uh <laughs> um it's 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 interesting to see because it's you know he's he's super beefy and it but the thing is he's going to be like a major major bullet sponge you know and if if you know every single tau hammerhead will be pointing their weapon right at him starting turn one so um if if you can manage to get him across the table in time to go and and swing at them, they'll go down like wet yeah. tissue paper. But you got to get across the table to do it. And I think it's going to be, it'll be tough and interesting to see. Maybe there's ways to protect them. Like maybe they have, I don't know. I mean, I don't think anyone's seen the whole, the whole codex yet. Maybe they have like a bodyguard unit or something like that, that you could use to try to, to protect them to get across the table there or something. Cause he does have the character rule. So who knows? Maybe they have a bodyguard unit that'll, help him survive enough to be able to do something. Yeah. So, but I think he's too big to put into a wave serpent. So yeah. Looking at his stat line because he has 14 wounds and he's toughness eight. He runs the same exact um, bracket as Gazgul and the silent King where he can hide behind obscuring terrain, but he's also mm-hmm. incredibly durable because of his number of wounds. Sure. That um, you get one really hot roll of D three plus three damage and he gets nuked, but Mm-hmm. Whereas Gazgul could live, yeah, that's the thing. Is that like you have things to kill like some yeah. first, first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, yeah. No, like he could de- he could hide, and you could use him as something equivalent to like a Mortarian or a Magnus kind of strategy, where you throw mm-hmm. him in the middle of the table and go. Mm-hmm. Either you deal with him, 
or you deal with the rest of my army, and he comes and stomps your face. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of him at yeah. this point with the four-up yeah. involved. I haven't seen how many he points takes half be. damage incoming, so that sounds appealing. But unfortunately, he is over the uh, the wound cap, so lookout sir doesn't apply to him. So yeah, hopefully there's some other mechanic other than strategic reserve to get him across the table. I, I don't know what that is, but uh, <laughs> fire and fade the avatar yeah. king. Go what? Yeah, half damage only. <laughs> half damage only goes so far. Speaking of Fire and Fade, also uh, new Corsairs. Uh, granted, this is the Kill Team uh, box set, uh, but uh, obviously this will be included in 40K as well. And also really cool looking models. Super cool looking models. I mean, like super cool looking models. I mean, the one that they previewed that, you know, that we saw at LVO looked rad and like, you know, had my attention. But the, this, the, the new ones they showed all of like the whole warband just looks super, like super cool, like super, like, very like I know that they were emphasizing the, the pirate aspect of it, but it really felt like it. It felt like a, like a war band of 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 misfits that just kind of had what worked for them, and there was no real uniformity to it. It was just like what worked best for them to in order for them to survive out in the high seas of the grim darkness. You know. Yeah, I think my favorite model out of the entire box set is the one that has the that's holding the two daggers and it has the two on the front of his belt and has a hood on top of his helmet. And he's just, yeah, I am brood Lord. Come and get me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah he's pretty he awesome. looks super rad. Yeah. The other thing I'm looking at in the background is it looks like, is that new Eldar terrain? And will that be released? So I'm kind of keep my fingers crossed here. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the terrain that they're going to come out with in the kill team box. Cause that's, uh, that's usually what they, I mean, they, Oh, I guess they haven't had, well then, no. Well, no. Octarius had the old. They redid the orc one, and then Kalnath. They did. They I think they reused some as well. So yeah. it'll be interesting if they use this as like a brand new source of terrain, which would be kind of yeah, cool. that'd be nice. Yeah, they repurposed the um, the old kill team uh, gothic stuff, which was great to get because it's mm-hmm. not available. Which I'm, mm-hmm. it's very limited at least, and especially the big statues are gone. I was like, what happened? This stuff is fairly new, but okay. But yeah. it's gone. So, uh, yeah, grab it while you can. So this looks really exciting. And, of course, um, get your pre-orders in for uh, Eldritch Omens, which apparently is going to be uh, uh, the allocation uh, has reared its back ugly head once again. So trying to get it from your local game store might be uh, tricky. So make sure you uh, put a pre-order in to help them out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know... My, my Eldar curiosity has waned because I'm just, no, no, no more army hopping. We don't army hop anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, what you could do is you could do what I do, which is run battle report channel and then just own every army because you want to try to keep variety and use that as your excuse for collecting them all, uh, <laughs> treating uh, it like Pokemon in the grim dark future. <laughs> I don't have that many shelves and or shelf space for that. <laughs> Yeah, I have, I have, I have. Uh, the most important aspect of that is a, a very understanding wife. That's how. <laughs> that's how I've managed to manage to keep it going. So, <laughs> I've been, I've been now doing the. Um, is that a new army that you bought there? No, no, no. It's for our son. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's for the future army. generation excuse. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> but I don't think he wanted to play Tyranids. No, 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 no. He didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't talk, don't talk for yeah, him. You know, the Pacific Rim sequel really uh, spoke to him, so he, he's yeah. all kind of out. So he's ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your 
armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy, the boxes help protect your models, and if you when you order, they come fast, the order is right, and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus Podcast. Alright, let's get into our main topic here. So new season, new mission pack. So first of all, Phil, what are your thoughts on this kind of uh Fortnite slash Apex Legends style, you buy a, a battle pass and you've got your set for the season type format that we're seeing in 40k. I think it's cool. I think it's fun. Um, what I like most about it is that they changed just enough that it'll make you rethink your strategy and rethink your the way you approach games. You know what I mean? Because uh, for me, for instance, my Dark Angels, uh, before I was doing the Sisters, I went into every single game with two secondaries that I knew I was going to do. I was going to do, um, uh, now I can't remember, I, Oath of Moment for the, from, the, from the Space Marine book, and then I was uh, Stubborn Defiance for the Dark Angels one. Every single game. It was, those were the two, and then the third one, I would figure out what I was going to do. Uh, but they just changed it now, where you can only take, you have to take two from the book, from the, the chapter approved book, and then you can use one other one. And, it, and I can choose between the two, certainly have access to them, but I have to choose two from the chapter approved book, which is, uh, in my opinion, uh, I mean, well, I mean, as a Dark Angel Deathwing player, maybe not super happy about it, but from a competitive standpoint, I think it's great. It makes you rethink, and now I have to figure out what I'm going to do and how I'm going to play it differently. Um, and I like that they made uh, enough tweaks that makes you rethink it without redoing it completely that it just feels like you're trying to learn a whole new game, you know? Speaking of being a Dark Angels player, so one of the things I noticed is a lot of the secondaries now are open to bikers. So did you ever think of splashing yeah. a few Ravenwing into your army? It's Absolutely. Because uh, also another thing that I've noticed that they have a lot in here is the emphasis on uh, objective secured units. Oh, did yeah. I also noticed? Sorry, my back. I'm back. Uh, I also noticed that a lot of it uh, also is objective secured units. One of the benefits of being a Dark Angels Ravenwing player is that I can use, uh, I can make my Ravenwing obsec. So now I have bikers that are obsec, which helps me to do those missions even better. So, um, yeah, I like that a lot. I think it's it's kind of interesting to see how that plays out and use the the combination of the death. W no, I don't need, I, I can choose one of the two things I want to do. Either sit on the, my back objective for Stubborn Defiance or sit in the middle objective for Oath of Moment. And, and, and play it from that way as opposed to having to do both to get myself my points. So now I have more room to work maybe with the bikers from Ravenwing along with the obsec there. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that all plays out. Yeah, the, the fact that you do need to mix and match your secondaries now and actually think of how to play the game correctly now instead of going, mm -hmm. what secondaries can I take that give me 45 points? Hmm. Hmm. It's... Yeah. It's refreshing because I know I had a game and a half. Well, I've, I had about half of a game yesterday with a, a newer Ultramarines player. And given it was a lot of hand holding for him to try and get him used to playing. But 
we played um, mission number 22. So conversion, which I believe that one was, I think, direct assault originally. So you could get a whole bunch of points for standing in the middle and then eventually standing on your opponents. It was super easy to score. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, it's actually not that easy to score those bonus points. So you actually have to really try to play the mission properly now. I also like it seemed like it was intended to be this way, that the, the, the free secondary that was included in each of the missions was supposed to be taken. And now it's like, it's not part of the primary. You will play that. So I think that kind of says a lot more to, I have to be able to do more than just hold objectives. What else do I need to do? And granted, there's a lot of those kind of go hand in hand, but it's very interesting how they switch those up quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- and I you know, cause I think there were a lot of the secondaries from the old book that people would just discount completely. Like there was, you just wouldn't play it in which case, you know, every single mission was essentially the same. It was like, is it hold one or hold two? Like which, you know, hold one, hold two, or is it hold two, hold three? Like what is, that was the big difference. And now you have to worry about that. You also have a lot more of, like you said, that, that, that secondary primary that you have to do now to score points um, to figure out. And you also have the, you know, the new mission rules that are much more, um, uh, they include a lot more of those special mission rules, like being able to leave objectives and still control them, but only if the unit was obsec now, you know, or, you know, you don't get your CP bonus if you don't control your home objective, or you don't get your CP bonus if you don't control an objective in your opponent's, you know, territory, all those things that now you, you have to play the game and each mission feels a lot more uh, individual, you know, it feels like you're actually, you know, having to that not, each one doesn't feel it doesn't feel as samey as the previous uh, edition of the of the rules did. Yeah, the, the way that I like to phrase it is it it forces interaction between both players, because a lot of times mm-hmm. players would take secondaries that they don't have to interact with their opponent. So the the blasting them off the table bit was all they had to do because then they could outscore primary and then their secondaries, they didn't have to worry about getting stopped. So now it forces you to, yeah. Oh, you want your full primary. You have to go interact with your opponent. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and I like that. I like that. I like to make you interact with your opponent. Uh, Cause my dark angels, essentially the way I would go into literally every mission was, I'm going to start here with 30 points and secondaries. Let's go. Let's see what you can do to try to, to stop that me from getting those points. And I'm going to be sitting on these objectives too. Like I don't have to interact with you and I've already got basically 80, 90 points, you know, like now that's not the case. Now, if I just sit on back of them, some of these missions, I won't be scoring second. I won't be getting my CP back, you know, or I might not be able to score other parts of the primary and I, and I'm not going to be able to score the points that I need to be competitive in a mission anymore without interacting with my opponent. So yeah, like you said, it forces a lot more interaction. It forces you to treat each mission as, uh, as a different mission. And it makes it, you know, it makes it more consequential what mission you're going to play against each other versus previously. It it really did feel like it didn't make a difference what we were playing because I was going to play the mission the same way anyway. So being that you run a battle report channel, does that affect how you film uh, missions moving forward? Yeah, I, I mean, I do think so. I, I do think it will affect how I how I film my battle reports. I think I have to have more of a. Con- I need to make a conscious effort to 
kind of keep in mind what each of what how often I play each of the different missions um, and how often I you know cycle through them because uh, they all make for a very they all make for a very different gameplay and because of that it's going to mean that I'm going to have to be able to show them on my channel a bit more we're pre like honestly with the previous GT pack it didn't matter which mission I was playing. It all kind of played out the same way. All it changed was like the deployment zone more so than anything else. Uh, maybe the hold two, hold three versus hold one, hold two. But that seemed like the only difference. Now, each of these missions seems very different. Um, I'm gonna, also going to have to explain the differences in the missions a lot more clearly uh, in my battle report. So um, yeah, I think it's going to change it. Not, I mean, Inherently, it all just comes down to me being able to play a fun and interesting game with my opponent. Um, so I'm just going to have to, you know, be cognizant of those other things that it more becomes like, you know, uh, off office work for the for me to play it versus yeah, I know you know the actual the actual the, game the, mechanics the, wise the, um, so. objective layouts and deployments on some of these, like the one mission um, Tide of Conviction, which is in which is one of the last three missions has one of the wonkiest objective marker layouts. Cause it's a, it's like, Oh, 18 inches from the center, six down. And then the other one's yep. six down and six over. And uh, it's just. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's not as, it's not as, uh, uh, like uh, symmetrical anymore. A lot of them they did they did change up a bit of where they've placed the, the 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 objectives to create. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how much of a difference that makes. Like how much of a more dynamic battlefield you'll find yourself during the battle. I kind of like that though, because especially in this day and age of player optimized terrain, you know, I think some things. It's just similar how you're saying, you know, two or three of the secondaries are pre-programmed into every player's list. I think the terrain layout was starting to get a little pre-programmed as well. Mm -hmm. Now with all these strange layouts, it, it, we kind of have to practice that terrain placement. Okay, what really works here? Because, yeah, they said they're kind of off-center and uh, asymmetrical almost, as much as you can yeah. be. And it's it, that could make it very exciting and also maybe trip somebody up by putting something in the wrong place. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like whenever, Like going back to that mission that we were just covering a little bit, the, the fact that there's only maybe about an 18 to yeah yeah maybe 18 inches at most between the two closest objectives in the middle of the table means you can't put two buildings right next to each other in the center of the table to block off mm -hmm. line of sight into your deployment zone yeah so yeah that's gonna be a big deal for player optimized terrain. Yeah, whoever whoever gets to place first is going to have a, a bit of a benefit there trying to block off their objective. Mm-hmm. Seeing how fast I can do the, the uh, Pythian theorem here. So I've done this. Yeah. But it's 12. Yeah, 36, 36, 72. Is 8 times 8, 30, 72? Or no? Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, so. so it's good quality podcast yeah. doing math on the air. So it's good. <laughs> um, so roughly they are 17 inches apart, if I did that right. And you have to be at least three inches away from each. So most terrain pieces. Four inches on the big ones. Four, all right. So yeah. So that means eight. Yeah. You're not fitting a terrain piece at center field at all. Mm -hmm. So that means you're probably putting it on both sides of that. That's going to be a gaping hole at center field. 
So yeah, or or as like they had at LVO, they had these big pieces on some of the tables that had to sit at the center of the table. Um, other than if there was an objective right there, they would sit in the center there, and therefore you're not going to be able to put another piece between there. You're just going to have that big that piece in the middle that's going to be the only line of sight blocking. It's like that's not. I mean, it puts both of those objectives pretty much at in contesting range of your opponent because they can get into yeah. that middle piece of terrain. Yeah. Like um, another mission that does that really well is actually the scouring because the scouring was always a fight in the middle over who could control the most objectives. And this mission is going to cause that again because of the fact that, oh, I'm literally charge range from you with a small move. I can come take that objective anytime I want, as long as I can hit you off of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at that point, it's a if you take that one, you're also within charging charging distance of the one in their deployment zone. So you could hopscotch across the battlefield from objective to objective if you really wanted to. Yeah. Also interesting about the scouring is for looking that at the uh, the new you know this aspect scan thing where you have to scan each objective, so you kind of need to get to at least three of them, if not five of them, to add to your primary score. That's kind of interesting that you kind of kind of bop around the field a little bit. So it also makes you do actions even if you didn't want to. You know what I mean? So if you have armies that are not as great at doing actions, you're now kind of putting yourself in a position where you're not going to be able to compete as strongly for that strategic scan portion of the mission, which is interesting. I'm glad you said that. Cause that's something I've not been hearing a lot of people talk about. It seems like we're becoming a much more action game. The only other game I can mm-hmm. think of that does has this much actions in their missions is in infinity. And so how is this going to change your, your army construction? I mean, how it used to be, you had your like one or two action monkeys. I mean, is one or two action monkeys enough anymore? Ah, I don't think so. And, and you know, I think you're right. I think it does change where you have to have units that can do actions. And, and, and it makes you make that trade-off where it's like, do I shoot with this unit against my opponent's uh, units there? Or do I do the action that's going to score me points? You know, because every decision that you make in the game is supposed to be towards making you score more points. But is actively getting those points going to be like the three points that you can get for this. Is that going to get you more points or is killing your opponent's unit so that you have more of your army alive to do other stuff later going to get you more points. And I don't know. I think it's interesting to see how it's going to play out that way. I think that you're right. I think having those one or two action monkey units maybe isn't enough anymore. I think that, uh, you know, it, it worked when you had specific, secondaries that you went into the game knowing you wanted to take that those units were going to do but now that you have missions that pop up that require you to do actions suddenly your ability to perform actions throughout the game becomes more important oh absolutely Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because uh so three games ago i played robert played orcs and uh one of the key things i made a mistake on was I had he had a unit of Grotz holding an objective, and he was doing vital intelligence on him. And I'm like, well, you know, I'll be able to pick them up any day. You know, they're just Grotz, right? Well, I forgot about him because there was always another threat. And next thing you know, it's round four. He's already maxed out vital. I'm like, Ugh, that was dumb. So yeah. the very next game, I'm surprise, surprise, playing Orcs again. <laughs> I went on this streak of like four Orc games in a row. So <laughs> I did the exact opposite. So if you touch an objective, you're dead. And sure enough, the score dropped considerably. I held my opponent to under 60 points. 
And uh, but the bad news was because I wasn't doing anything else either, I still lost the game. <laughs> so, but it was very close. It was like a eight point difference, but it was so low scoring. I was like, hmm, interesting. You know, and now I'm thinking like if there was another action that needed to be done. Because I was toying around with um, behind enemy lines, I was actually scoring a lot of points with that. Now there's some of these like tel- deploy teleport homers, which the bikes can do. It's like, wow, I could have been doing. So, do you go after my bikes in the corners of your deployment zone, or you go after what's in front? Meanwhile, yeah. do I take the heat lances off the bikes because all they're doing is actions, or do I still make them a threat? How do I how do I make this work? Yeah. And also now that you have like engage on all fronts requires you to have three or more models in the unit or be a vehicle or a monster. Suddenly now you're like all of these like small, like it, it, be, it used to be easy to have those small action monkey units that were just like innocuous. They're now making it harder to take those small innocuous units to do the actions and making it more that you have these bigger units that innately are more of a threat that your opponent is going to pay attention to. So now you have to do more actions. You have to have the bigger units that you have to pay the points for to do them. And now those same units are a bigger threat and thus more likely to be a target for your opponent. It makes it more difficult, you know? It makes it more interesting to see how how do you how do you balance that all with your list design and, you know, and and threat distribution to make your opponent not completely wipe out your ability to score points on on with actions early on to allow you to keep you know performing them no i agree good Uh, the 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 instance of taking a more elite army of something like thousand suns or custodes or heck even knights where you have so few models and sometimes you know for a fact your army is not going to do actions at all so the the fact that you go oh there's a primary so like setting um explosives in mission number 12 you get four points for every single detonator that exists on the table at the end of the game that you set okay um well what am i going to do that with a unit of custodian guard with sword and board or am i going to chuck them into a unit that i know they can kill if they get into combat (laughs) So yeah, that, that for sure, the challenge for elite armies is really high because you have to focus. Whereas yeah. armies that are smaller, they can still take action monkeys, but those action monkeys have to be as cheap as humanly possible. So that way, when they're done with their action and the opponent blows them off the table, it doesn't impede you. Is the way I yeah. can think of and it. And I so think like that your, was your absolutely. Reaver bikes, Eric. Mm-hmm. If if you want to take off the heat lances, okay, you run like four or five of them, and they go and do actions, man, and then they die, and you go, eh, well, they did their job, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm looking at. Is yeah. actually taking an outrider, and you know, you have your shooty heat, la- you know, reaver bikes, and then you've got two smaller units that are kitted out for speed, and uh, all they do is you know do actions. Maybe it, but on top of it, to your other point, I don't want them getting blown off the table. I just want them to be annoying enough. So give them the plus one toughness combat drug. And uh, so all of a sudden you got a T5, six up invul, four up save, two wound model, you know, a unit of four or five in your backfield. You're like, oh god, this seems annoying. <laughs> yeah. What it also forces is armies like orcs where, okay, we have like no foot troops. <laughs> well, yeah, we have to take foot troops now. If you choose to take the army of yeah. renown, well, guess what? 
you lose out entirely on almost all your actions because only your bikers can do them. Your bikers have a specific job and they aren't being dedicated full force with the rest of your army, which is how you used to play them originally. Yeah, I feel and bad I, for and my I think last you're like you're right. <laughs> he yeah. lost so many bikes. So yeah, the uh, for my current army with the with the sisters, I had three five sister squads that were doing actions. Uh, with my dark angels, I just didn't take secondaries that required actions. <laughs> uh, and I mean, and I think that was that was a legitimate strategy. The yeah, in the last smart. GT okay. packet was you just were like, all right, I'm not I'm not going to do actions. It's just that's just not what my army does. I'm not good at them because I have to my my stuff costs too much for them to just see sitting there doing nothing that I can't really do that. Um, and I think that's where the change in this edition cha- happens, where you look at it, and you go, well, I can't do actions, but I have to do actions. So I'm, I'm it's something something needs to give at that point. And I think it, it, it causes you to rethink how you build your army and how you how you build your defenses because going back to what robert was talking about how when you have you know where you look at this and you go you want your units to do these actions to be as cheap as possible the problem is they've made it now where it's less feasible to take super cheap units to do them because you require multiple models to be in the unit like you can no longer just have like that one or two model unit that just drops down like custodies can't just like send an individual terminator into a corner to get you know engage in all fronts because you have to be three or more models. So suddenly now you need a three Terminator unit, three Terminator unit to do that. And suddenly a three Terminator unit is the kind of thing that you're not going to overlook. And it makes you a bigger target and makes it more difficult to do it. So it's interesting, like you said, the way they've done it, where actions are more important now and the units that can do those actions are more expensive. So it becomes this huge trade-off where you're like, how... You know, and I'm not sure I, I know what it is yet. I mean, I've had the book for you know very short period of time compared to the last one, and I, you know, you sit back and you it makes you makes you have to think about when you're building these lists, what is going to be doing my actions for me because I can't just ignore actions completely because otherwise, if the scouring comes up, for instance, that's me putting that's me leaving thir- that's me leaving like what is it, 15 points on the table, possibly, you know, and that's not like going into a mission and saying, I'm not going to even compete for those 15 points is not a good way to win. <laughs> you know, it's just not a good way to win. If you go into it knowing there's nothing. Yeah, exactly. If, yeah. if I go into it knowing that I cannot yes. score 15 points, that's not a good way to win. So. Yeah. Like the, I know the initial question that Eric actually asked is when you think of an army concept of something like, Oh, here's all my Imperial Knights or chaos Knights. Yeah. That they, don't have yeah. foot troops that they can take to do actions. Yeah. They have to that's dedicate huge. something that's like huge. An you know, that's huge. Or so it'll be interesting to, to see how so. how they how they play out. It'll also be interesting to see if they've taken that into consideration with the new codex. Like when their new codex come out, maybe there's like a something that we're not seeing. Like maybe they'll have a special rule that'll allow them to act normally while doing an action. You know what I mean? Because I could see something like that. Yeah. It's possible. There's a couple units already that have that nifty. I can shoot and still do an action. I can do this and do an action. Um, interesting. Somebody brought up. I haven't had a chance to look at it in depth as much as they have, so I'll take their word for it. Some of their secondaries are designed as well, where they can just kind of make it fairly easy for them to to be alive. In fact, 
and I have to look at exactly, but it's in those the yeah. new book where they talk about hey, you're not getting a codex for a while, so we're going to throw you a few secondaries. So I was like, okay, that could be something. But again, if you're playing knights right now, your job is to make sure to kill anything that's holding the objective or doing an action. But again, I think you're looking at low scoring. Yeah, the armagers are objective secured, but there's still five, ten models you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 20 yeah. man brick of Skatari Rangers is going to still win that battle. So it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, all I need to do is put three yeah. custodians on an objective and look at that armor and yeah. go, this is mine now. So you're, you're going to kill me, but this is mine. So it, it's definitely a, a very broad way to think because, yeah, no, like knights their game is to literally just obliterate your opponent. They don't have any other actual plan. So when you look at how the new, way the new primary is scored, okay, you can score 12 points every turn for the hold one, hold two, hold more part of it. So in order for you to max out your primary, you have to do mm-hmm. that for all four yeah, turns. Yeah, if you're, if you're scoring 12 points on that anyway. part of the primary. All right, so lots to look at with a few tournaments already coming around the corner here, including ours. So as I mentioned, ours is going to be uh, March. I should have looked up the date before I said my mouth. That's awesome. Great. Professional the 12th podcast. and the 13th. Thank you. I knew it was close to that date, but last time I said like Friday, Saturday. No, it's Saturday, Sunday. Uh, get on the waiting list. Actually, while we were recording, somebody just emailed me. So, yes, we have already one person on the wait list. So hop on there as soon as possible. And uh, I'm curious to see you know, what our full turnout will be. Uh, but we are super excited because uh, this will be the largest single 40K tournament in state history. So I am hey, super Hey, congrats, excited. guys. That's aw- I mean, that's an awesome accomplishment, you know? So that's thank you. Awesome. That's no, it's a, yeah, it's it a big deal. Um, yeah. So thinking this is our... This is only our sixth event, sixth year running it, but we've been at it for eight years. We had to take, we lost mm-hmm. two years to COVID. So think about that when we started, no one uh, ever had a tournament outside of the hobby yeah. store. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and I will say this right now, Phil, if you ever decide to venture out to Arizona, I will. Be, you <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll appreciate it. I'll see if I can get out there. I don't know if I might melt, uh, but. <laughs> Yeah. Well, in, in March, it's not that okay. bad. And with the way things have been kind of when yeah. anyway, but yes, also you need approval that's from true. the wife that's first. True. That's always important. That's true. <laughs> lots of travel to go with that. Yeah, so. there's, no, lots of travel, lots of spouse yeah. things to do, um, lots of resorts. Um, it's a great yeah. place to come. Where are you, and, where are you guys, uh, where are you really guys holding, holding it? If you don't mind me. We are actually holding it in the... Uh, a Mesa Convention okay. Center, so we're going to be on the east side of town Excellent. this time around. So we try to bounce back and forth between east and west side of town, and we're actually pa- teaming up with the Arizona Game Fair. So if, for example, if day one doesn't go so well for you, well, your pass will let you go to all the rest of the game fair, so you can go ahead and play some board games or D&D or That's awesome. something else. Of 40 yeah, I, yeah, I love I so. love that with the conjunction with that, you know, being able to, to see all, all the other stuff that Hobby has, because, you know, we're all, we're all 40k nerds primary, but Right, you know, between us, but at the same time, there's a whole lot of other nerdness that we do as well. So it's it's fun to have that kind of and see all the different nerdiness that's there in between rounds or after rounds or whatever. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely, I'm yeah. super excited for it. But speaking of nerdness, I have to share this because I think I'm the only person who saw okay. this. So was it last night? Yes, last night. 
I'm watching TV. I want to say it was like a cable channel, like sci-fi or TBS or USA, one of those type channels. So still basic cable, but not, you know, network TV. And I'm reading my codex. So I'm trying to figure out what to do with my army after the balance sheet just totally obliterated it. And all of a sudden I hear some James workshop on the television. And I look up and it's a TV commercial for the Imperium, you know, that magazine subscription where you, you get a free model every two weeks. And then by the time the subscription's over, you should have the entire Indominus box yeah. with terrain. It was on really? TV. A TV ad for Like, wow. Like, a television commercial for Warhammer. Not your local game store. Like, we have the finest barrels yeah. available. No, it was like a real, it was James Workshop said, I got, look sharp, hobbyists. <laughs> I was like, holy wow. cow. That's, yeah, what that's is this? <laughs> I, I checked my blood alcohol. Is this real? <laughs> is this what happened? Did I accidentally <laughs> click on their YouTube channel? Like, what's going on here? That's exactly. I was just like, am I watching Warhammer Plus? What am I missing here? And then those came right back on to the, the horrible movie I was watching. I was like, okay, that was weird. So I like put it on the, hey, did you guys see the Warhammer commercial? Like, no. Uh, like, wow. Oh my God. That's cool. So, right. yeah. So, so should I call a doctor and check to see if you're crazy, Eric? <laughs> because that sounds like a big old fat cow. <laughs> I'm still trying to look at like that. I, did I really see that? And I was like, it was bizarre. But yeah, it was, it was the you know the whole the voice and the whole nine yards and it's you know six ninety five an issue and I'm going, okay, that's pretty wild. So who knows? Could be also like uh, the Apple ad they showed it once at the Super Bowl and never yeah, showed it again. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, just just to emphasize, yeah. how, like to make you feel even crazier. They're like, we will never show this again. And if you happen to be <laughs> the one Warhammer nerd that saw it at this one, uh, you know, this one time, they'll never believe you. My games workshop's at my door right now. Quick, yeah. eliminate him. <laughs> Is that how advertising works? I'm supposed yeah. to tell people. <laughs> oh my gosh. Phil, where can we find more of your wonderful battle? If you want to see more of what I do, you can check out uh, the Glacial Geek on YouTube. Um, Essentially, I do uh, one battle report a week now. I've changed my content production, so I do one battle report a week, alternating between 40K and Kill Team. Really like Kill Team a lot, too, uh, but also 40K, so alternates back and forth between them. Uh, I also do another video a week. But yes, he does one and then the other one, and he... It's all. I haven't watched any of the Kill Team stuff because I have no interest in Kill Team. But seeing as he has, seeing as the Kill Team stuff has been regularly coming out, it is very much a a hit yeah. on his channel. And yes, Phil, your um, the warp ate your connection again. So we're really sorry. I'm just trying to fill up what you were saying. All I can say is give give Kill Team a chance. It's actually really cool. When it first came out, it was a little offsetting because um, basically it was index 40k, just like it was in the beginning of 8th. As new books have been coming out for it and really fleshing out those particular war bands, it, yeah. or, it's really cool. Yeah, the, the new edition is awesome. I really like the new edition, and I wish I had picked up on what you were putting down be, uh, earlier, but I, I sat there listening to what you had to say about Kill Team. But yes, I very much like Kill Team, and I'm back to talk. Um, the, new, the new Kill Team is fantastic. I highly recommend everyone check it out. In fact, um, on the weekend of the 18th through the 20th, 
um, or the what is it, the 19th and 20th, I'm actually going to be hosting the stream for the Kill Team Open, uh, which is going to be taking place in Baltimore. Uh, so I'll be stream hosting there, and you'll hear me just rambling on, and hopefully my mic will work better that time. Uh, <laughs> but um, essentially, I do, yeah, so I do uh, regular battle reports and, and uh, of 40K and, and Kill Team battle reports once a week on Mondays, alternating back and forth. And then I put out another video where I put out other kinds of content. So Recently, it's been following my progress of building and painting the sisters. Uh, it'll be going into other things. I've got ideas for lore and and story times and all that kind of different fun jazz. But essentially, all sorts of geekery and funness and 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 enjoying the hobby uh, is what you can find there. So check it out on YouTube, the Glacial Geek, and uh, I also have a Facebook page and an Instagram account that you can find the content for too as well. Just look for the Glacial Geek, and you'll. You'll find it. Look for the logo that looks like a it's a bearded guy with ski goggles and a and a and a, and a fur and a fur hood on. Um, and you'll you'll find the glacial geek. So thank you very much. Yeah. Let me oh, let me welcome. let me let me plug my plug my no, absolutely. biz. It's <laughs> wonderful content. So it's definitely you can learn a lot by watching the other games. It's still you still need to get out and play, but it's still you know, if you can't get out and play, getting and watching, you just go, like, huh, I didn't know that worked out that way. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, give yourself some ideas, you know, encourage you to do some other stuff and try new things. So absolutely. Yeah, that's the, that's the best the best thing about YouTube out there that it can do for you. So. All right. So that is our show for this week. Thank you so much, Phil, for being on. Robert, thank you so much for, for wrangling him in. I hope uh, we don't owe him too much at this point. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll have the invoice in the mail. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> It'll just be for smiles and woos. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate it. But it was great to have you on, and I hope to talk to you again soon. In the meantime, Absolutely. my name's Eric. I'm Robert. And I'm Phil. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast.